coffee kind of make me nervous when I drink it. Mm-hmm. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Crema. Hi, everybody. Happy weekend to you. Happy Saturday. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. We have a brand new guest. This is one of those get-to-know-you interviews that we like to do, at least every now and again. And uh, fortunately, we were contacted by this lady who expressed an interest. You know that counts for points with the Mance and Mitchell interest section of 1150 KKNW. But none of that would be happening without the yeoman efforts every Saturday or darn near of our buddy Nathan Miller. Of course, we've nicknamed him Nathan Detroit. Nathan, Nathan, Nathan Detroit. Uh, good morning, experiences. <laughs> and uh, I think maybe a little too much coffee here. I'm kind of nervous. Uh, kind of coffee <laughs> make me nervous in the morning. Right. Yeah. That, I think that was one of the... the the first, if not the very first, independent films to score so big with the critics and audiences at the time. I mean, Billy Bob Thornton, if that didn't work, who knows if we would remember his name now. But it worked along with a lot of his other works. Sling Blade. Sling Blade. I saw that, I saw that with my mom in the Did theater. You? I'm kind of wow. like, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Let's go to a revolver. Bible theater next week, mom. We can see a clockwork orange. Let's just have fun with the whole thing. So, and, and that brings up the idea of show business, yes, but pop culture in all of its variety, but also nuances. And people get into that industry, I tell you. And uh, Rose Kreider is our guest today. We're about to introduce her. We've got a, some mad props to read. I'll do the honors there, but. People get into this, it's like being way out on that skinny branch because the probability is that any individual, actor, director, writer, producer, etc., is not going to succeed at all or that they may be a one and off. But to be in the industry year after year after year, uh, I admire people who do that because it shows genuine commitment and a lot of courage as well. To the craft, yes. Please go ahead and read her mad props and mad bring props. her on. Rose Kreider was born and raised in Kirkland, Washington. A local. Local talent and has modeled, acted, and directed on many different projects throughout her life. Most recently, she has appeared in Paramount's Palido, Amazon Prime's Killcraft, modeled for, I assume, NYFW is uh, the source I found, uh, New York Fashion Week, I believe, and Macy's Department Stores, which I know quite well. Rose has also directed and produced and written two films, which include the dramatic feature The Woman, for which she won Best Director and Best Drama Film at international festivals, as well as A Room by the Road, which is a crime thriller short. Rose currently has three films in various stages of production for 2023, but for the moment, she joins us on Manson Mitchell. Rose Kreider, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. I, you know, it, it all began for you in Kirkland, Washington. I almost want to say, you know, somewhat satirically, how, how did a nice girl like you wind up in all those businesses? You know, and then I think of Hillary Swank. I think she was uh, grew up in a trailer park in Bellingham. You know, wherever you come from, it's more about where you're going. And you're the living proof, Rose. 
Thank you. Yeah, no, Kirkland has been booming with a lot of other filmmakers lately. And Bellingham is kind of one of those small little towns. And um, they're booming, too, with a lot of people coming out of Bellingham. So it's really cool to be part of this uh, Seattle filmmaking industry. What was the trajectory of the careers that Gary was talking about in your introduction? It's like, what came first? What came second? How did that happen for you? Yeah. So through COVID, I actually lost my corporate America role because my job required me to be on site. And so a lot like other people in America, they tried to pick up some kind of craft or hobby. And I had always been inspired by the creative aspect of being a model or runway. And I knew that runway at the time wasn't possible because I didn't have the experience. So I kind of created myself on social media platform as this photogenic person that's trying to get into modeling and through just doing various online competitions and videotaping myself for runway i landed myself a spot at new york fashion week and that was the year covid hit and i did modeling for a couple of years working with various companies such as macy's and i actually got flown out to dallas texas for a independent um, lady who was creating clothing, which was really cool, but it just wasn't my forte. I didn't really like the style. I didn't really like the people as much as in the business. And so I came back and um, just last year, I was told that I'm so creative that I should just start doing film. Um, And I started doing background roles and started meeting a lot of courageous and independent folks here in Seattle. And that kind of inspired me to start writing my own stuff. I did a small short that I helped write. And then my partner was like, hey, I really like your writing and you have the skills to direct. So why not just direct your own film? And from there, I had a dream about a movie that was super unique, which now is The Woman. And a year later, it's in 35 countries has been seen over 10,000 times, and it's doing really well. <laughs> We're happy to hear that, too. The idea You say you had a dream. Now, did this appear to you in a dream, or it's a dream that you had to nurse along stage by stage? Yeah, so I had a dream that I was basically nursing, and I woke up and had a journal next to me, like I always do, wrote out my idea of the baseline of the story, and then for the next week, I had basically written the story from beginning to end and ran it by a couple of people, found another script writer who has books on Amazon, and we wrote the screenplay in two weeks. And by Thanksgiving in 2021, I had a full screenplay. So by Christmas in 2021, I had cast the crew and the actors, and we started filming it in January of 2022, and the movie actually released just two months later. That all seems rather fast when I think about how things happen, especially in Hollywood, where, Mm -hmm. you know, offers come in 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 one year and you might get to the film the next year. I know when when movies first started, you know, like a hundred years ago, that they used to knock them out in a day. And sometimes there wasn't even a script but they became quite a bit more sophisticated. The business became more expanded. And so it it seems as though in that expansion of the filmmaking business, 
it also slowed things down where things take a long time. Sounds to me like you sped everything back up again. Yeah. So it was my first film. I didn't understand any process of editing. Now I understand my second film. We actually edited it for three months before it was released. Um, I worked with, I wouldn't say amateur, but it was their very first film also as my DP and editor. So they didn't understand how long it was going to take, but we definitely should have waited out until at least spring or summer to release the woman. I think I would have edited a little bit differently if we had have waited, but um, I I'm proud of the movie. And we actually did almost every single day during the week. We did late nights up until like two or three in the morning to edit the film completely. And funny story. We actually, found a flaw the day before the movie premiere, which was in theaters. I had a hundred people coming to this movie premiere and we hadn't even delivered the movie to the theater yet until about an hour before um, because we weren't finished editing. So it was a learning experience. Um, Moving forward, the three productions I have in in pre-production currently, they are all going to take a handful of months before I do release them. That's very good strategic thinking. You delivered it an hour before the, the premiere. That must have been a very nervous projectionist. Yes, it was extremely nerve-wracking. Everything was sporadic. I had people pulling me left and right at the premiere, but then I was upstairs on the third level where they actually project the movie, and I was editing with the editor and the person who owned the theater. Um, so it was crazy, but it it was such a brilliant day. It was my favorite day out of my whole life. So I you know I wouldn't change anything. But moving forward, you know, as an independent filmmaker, you you learn throughout the the movies that you produce and, and release. So that was definitely a learning experience for me. A lot of people who get into film production, especially the directing part, have usually been on the other side of the camera first. So as actors, they say, hmm, I think I could direct this. And then they eventually make it over to that side. Did you spend much time on the side where the camera was pointed at you rather than you pointing the camera? I would say yes, just because as I was transitioning from modeling to acting, I was constantly on film set. So, for example, I was on Kimmy with Zoe Kravitz, where I was side by side with her on a sidewalk in downtown Seattle for 10 hours. And, um, you know, although you can't really see me because of the editing process and they actually fast forward a lot of the things that we did in the movie on HBO Max, um, there were a lot of other movies that I did every weekend during the summer. So I would say I've had more experience in front of the camera. And I think that's why I understand a lot more with my actors and how I want to run my film set, because it's the experience that I had in front of the camera of which I want to change or adjust in my way, because I know how it feels to be in front of the camera. And when we talk about sets that, you know, when we do talk radio, at least if you're listening to Manson Mitchell, Suzanne and I, like to get the stories from people because it's all about your experience and every experience contains whether great or small some sort of lesson and i'm curious to know rose 
with all the sets you've been on, what is it like typically and what are the extraordinary aspects maybe that you did not anticipate on a movie set? It could be it could be the runway, anything where there is a big, important public venue. And if people aren't there, they may be viewers, ultimately wondering what it was like on the set. As you know, there are sets and then there are sets. Yeah, so I'll touch on both. So modeling with the runway, you are preparing for weeks and weeks and you know you're doing a lot of behind the scenes action it's crazy and chaotic and then you're on the runway for about 10 seconds so it's over lickety split and um that's so crazy to think about is how many hours you've spent building up to it and then it's over in 10 or 15 seconds and then with a film set when you see the film it looks really fluent obviously it's post post production it's out and it looks like it took five you know to 20 seconds to produce that one party scene. I was in a party scene for a movie that's on Netflix that actually hasn't been released yet. It's coming out this spring. And there was a handful of A-listers. And it's crazy because you're you're running side by side with them. And I was outside in about 110 degrees. It was one summer when Seattle was booming with heat. And we were wearing all old school like leather jackets and pants and boots and it was so miserable (laughs) but we had a makeup artist coming around and continuously cleaning us up for camera but we had to run through the same scene for like 12 hours so that's maybe something people don't understand is they they want to have multiple takes and just so they can choose that one take. And even if that one take isn't perfect, they nitpick throughout different parts that you had filmed and put it together as one. So it's a strenuous process, you know, just like on Kimmy, like I was saying, I was standing next to her doing the same scene. My feet wanted to fall off. Like I was wearing big heels and I was literally running on the sidewalk for hours. So I don't think people maybe realize that even to do one scene on a sidewalk that you see in between major scenes in a movie that could take a full day. Oh my goodness. There. So doggone good thing, Rose, that, that the director wasn't Stanley Kubrick for, with his propensity for many, 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 many takes, you would have melted like a candy bar. (laughs) Seriously. It was a lot of scenes that I've done background wise, I'm always wearing a full coat, like hat, mittens. It's crazy. And it's always filmed in Seattle when it's nice because we can't predict the rain. And so that's why the summer here is so booming with, you know, Warner Brothers. Um, we've had Paramount come. That's Polito that you were talking about at the beginning. And it's always in the middle of the heat. And they always make us wear a bunch of clothes. So the other thing, too, is if you have tattoos like I do, they make you wear extra clothes just because they don't want anything popping out. So I'm usually fully covered in clothing. <laughs> and I'm glad you say it's Polito. Polito. Because I was calling it Palido, like like some East Coast snob would say. <laughs> <laughs> when I say East, I mean Spokane. But anyway, we're just, you know, we talk about that what it is to go through the process i can recall and i wish i remembered the gentleman's name i don't it was one of the i don't say lesser but one of the uh the categories involving shorter films 
there might have been foreign language, might have been a documentary. But at any rate, at the Oscars one year, several years ago, the producer said, people don't understand how hard it is to get one of these made, how hard it is to make a movie. And apparently it's regardless of length. Oh, yes. Um, for example, my, I guess my, my next film, it's a short. So I'm intending it to be between 10 and 15 minutes. It's called Wish You Well. And we were filming it last month. I had planned it out strategically for a day of filming, but we had so many hiccups and so much unknown that we're actually filming the rest of it tomorrow because we couldn't finish it. So even just a 10 or 15 minute movie could take many days. So imagine a feature film like The Woman that's 60 Minutes. That took a month and a half. So there's a lot of unknowns. You have to be completely organized, but also leave wiggle room for the unknown. Is there anything in your background, Rose, that would be uh, indicate that this was the area that you were going to go into? One of the uh, jokes that uh, Gary and I kind of tell be between us is when we see a famous son or daughter of another famous person. And, and then we laugh and we go, that's how he got that. <laughs> that's how she got that. Because it's like, it, it gets passed down from parents to their children if they're in the acting industry. But if, if you are going to tell me that your parents are not actors, then, you know, I'm wondering how this came to be in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my parents are not, we actually grew up middle class, but then as time progressed and the economy progressed, we became lower class and we were forced to live outside of Kirkland at that point. And so I knew I wanted something more. I was really inspired by just the creative industry because I feel like you can be your own creative, whether you're in music, you know, modeling um, or film. And growing up, I wanted to be actually a singer. I wanted to have all the attention on me. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to tour the world. Um, my mom sang and she has such a voice. Um, so I kind of gathered that from her. And when I realized that it's really a dog eat dog world in the music industry, I kind of put that to side and started doing law because I thought that was the right thing to do. <laughs> um, and you know, from there, I just wasn't getting enough creative outlet. And I think with through COVID, I was able to explore other opportunities in the creative outlet, like a lot of people were doing. So, I mean, from the beginning, I wanted to kind of have, you know, my own kind of stance in the industry, whether it was singing or, or acting, but I never thought that I was going to direct. I always thought I was going to be the person in front of the camera 24 seven, but I enjoy so much more directing something because I can call it mine. And I want to be the next Tim Burton, to be honest. I don't want to do the dark movies. I want to be the Tim Burton of like dramas and comedies. So I guess growing up, yeah, to answer your question, I, I thought I was going to be a singer sometime, you know, in the spotlight later on in my life, but not, not as a director. Well, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about the difference between your head and your heart, because I think a lot of people, especially when they're young, they turn to their head and they say, okay, now how can I make money? How can I get a, a roof over my head and a, a good career going, good job, 
job and, you know, a car and all the things that go along with setting up a life. And for many people, it is that that corporate world, that that idea of I will give you my time, you will give me money. And so there, there's this transactional exchange between your your precious time and the money that you're going to receive so that you know you can you can have your life but at some point and i think it's more normally like middle age when people go through their middle age crisis and go oh my gosh i've been working for this corporation for you know 25 30 years and now i i just really want to do xyz you know be a pro golfer or go out and sing or be a great artist or do charitable work. People kind of make a choice later in life to do the things that their heart is calling to do. And it it sounds like you used COVID to make that trajectory rather early in your life rather than waiting for a middle-age crisis. So your choices look more like they're heart choices than head choices. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. You know, I, before COVID, the year before COVID hit, when I was in corporate America in law and really not gaining anything from it, it was just a nine to five and it was making a lot of money, but it wasn't where my heart wanted to, you know, where I wanted to be in life. I actually went to see a psychic and the psychic said, this is not the career for you. You need to be in a creative space. And I didn't understand what they were even talking about. You know, I kind of put aside the music aspirations that I had growing up as a teenager for years. And then of course, COVID hit, lost my corporate job. And then I finally, you know, now I understand what they were talking about because this is exactly where I'm supposed to be in life. I feel like everyone has a career trajectory and some people find it just like a soulmate. I believe in that heavily. And I feel like I found it finally. Um, I wish I found it years ago, but I'm really happy that I did follow my heart. So yeah, you're correct. We have the opportunity to take a break. It's our one and only break of the hour. Why don't we go ahead and do that? And when we come back, there are more stories, more insights into a panoply of interests that Rose Kreider has. And she just she doesn't address these in a passive way. She threw herself into this. She qualifies as a cultural creative. Maybe we could even discuss the virtues of that term. Because a lot of people are confused about what it means to be a cultural creative. And what the risks are, what is the promise of entering that avenue of life. We'll get to all of that and probably other stuff too on the other side of a short break. We are Manson Mitchell and we will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. 
Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Jacob Cooper, psychic medium, to share insights from his book, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. On Saturday, Susan Harmon returns with stories from her fascinating life of growing up outside the United States, becoming a stone whisperer, and experiencing a life-changing move to Arizona. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Rose Kreider, who is making her debut on Manson Mitchell to talk about movies and television and the experiences that she's had. Rose, if people want to find more about you, Rose Kreider Productions, what you're doing, maybe want to connect with you, maybe want to give you a role or have you do a movie for them. You know, what, what's the best place for them to connect with you? So I'm very active on Facebook. If you just want to search Rose Kreider or Instagram is at Rose Kreider. Or if you're just interested in watching my films, one is available on 2BDV. It's a free network. It's called The Woman. And then um, there's an app called Reveal. And that's also a free account as long as you have just an account it's free to watch so that one my short a room by the road is on and my future productions will be on amazon prime which i'm really excited about well that sounds good i'm gonna spell Kreider because i know there's more than one way i knew a john Kreider, and he spelled his name completely different so rose Kreider is k-r-e-i-d-e-r if you want to look up rose Kreider, start with a k and you should be able to find her so thank you for sharing that we had, um, in setting up for the interview today, we were very interested in the fact that you've uh, been on quite a few sets, and apparently one of them was in Seattle not that long ago, so I wanted you to tell what your experience was with the Pawn Stars. Yeah, so the Pawn Stars America is a new show for them, where they basically pack up in a van, and they visit hot spots throughout America and Seattle was the second city that they came to and they were here for three days and it really brought up a lot of hype within our film industry and people that are in background work here and a lot of agencies put out notifications and um, about a couple hundred were chosen and that was me and uh, basically what you see on the show it's really condensed down and I would say even half of it isn't even real to be honest um my experience was really odd in that i 
was told to bring something that I was interested in selling. However, I didn't need to sell it. And I ended up selling it, not intentionally. And uh, a lot of people brought things that was really unsellable. So they would actually borrow other people's items that had already been offered, but then they would offer it to a different pawn star and they would just choose the best take. And so a lot of times when you see things on pawn stars being sold, I would say 50% of the time, it's not even their item. However, if you see their show, their old show where they actually go into their Vegas store, those are pre-planned for months and they already do a bunch of research on the item that they're bringing in. There's a script for them. And then the funny thing too is, you know how on Pawn Stars when they say, oh, I'm going to bring in my friend to give me advice on this item, they don't know those people. So in Seattle, we had a bunch of experts on hand that the production was already interested in talking with the seller about a specific item. There were a lot of paintings that were over $10,000 worth that were being sold and they had contacted them well in advance and brought an expert in with that specific item that they're selling. But the pawn stars themselves, they don't know those people. And so it's funny when they say, Oh, I'm my great friend. I'm bringing this person in. They don't know who they are. (laughs) Um, And then the other thing too, I want to mention that maybe people don't know is when you're, whether you're, you know, on set in Seattle, when they're doing the pawn stars America or you're in their Vegas studio, they do not allow you to take pictures, talk to them, shake their hand. The producers are really strict and stingy. And there were a lot of issues on set with the backgrounds. Everyone was trying to say hi to Rick um, and he couldn't even acknowledge you. So it was, it's just really, really weird. We, we went to Pawn Stars in Las Vegas, Gary. We did go. Uh, we didn't buy anything and we didn't pawn anything, no. but we got to walk around a little bit. And there was a bit of a line and not the longest I've ever seen there to get in there. But I'm sure that, you know, occasionally the line must be around the block. We found parking across the street, got in a, this, this uh, medium length line. Then we got the chance to walk through and there was no interaction with anybody who's there. Who's well, a time- star. tiny little place and none of the stars were there they were in the if they were there they They were were in the the back room and didn't come out yeah we were the hoi polloi wandering around (laughs) their their pawn shop there and i don't know if they ever eventually sold it but i can tell you this rose there every because they would feature it prominently you couldn't miss it there you'd walk through the pawn shop in las vegas there and there would be shall we say a golden curvaceous statuette a plaque of uh in a way there i think it was from the old riviera and uh drew a lot of attention it also had a price tag on it of forty nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars i don't know if somebody came in you've got people who are so rich they call them whales because they have big fat bank accounts in las vegas and somebody for whom essentially fifty thousand dollars would be nothing coffee money I wonder if anybody would go in there and say, yeah, I'll take that off the wall. Buy, are you going to gift wrap it? You know, and it would be okay. But when they put a, a price tag in a Las Vegas pawn shop of a dollar less than $50,000, I concluded that they really didn't want to sell it. That's part of the game too. 
do because that that alone that one item brought them a great deal of attention with each episode as long as they were in their shop there yeah it's curious because there were a lot of interesting things that people brought that came in with a really reasonable ask um whether they got a quote or you know it was just a reasonable ask like signed autobiographies for example and they really do lower you down um it's crazy how many people were really upset um and i feel like it, it really is just a chauvinism type of show <laughs> um i i doubt that half the stuff they have in their shop in vegas actually sells i think it's just for the show and props i wouldn't imagine i mean when we watched the original show all of these antique cars that they beef up and make look really nice and shiny and brand new. We never hear about these cars selling and I never have seen their, that car or fancy cars or boats that they bought on set or, you know, on um, their property in Vegas. So I just wonder what the give and take is there. I'm not entirely sure, but I do know that the highest paid out item in Seattle was around $500. Mine was 150, but there was a really nice painting that someone came in and asked for a couple thousand and he ended up selling for only 500. A lot who, of negotiating. Gary. Those who are pros know the tactics and they've sure. been in that game usually a long time. Yeah. Yeah. What, what other sets have you been on and who have you seen or, or met behind the scenes? So met is kind of a loose term in my dialogue well, maybe worked with if you're not allowed <laughs> to talk to them but yeah. who have you been close to physically that you might um, want to mention so i've been close to zoe kravitz actually can i tell a story about that if you guys sure. are interested so we were in downtown seattle um lots of homeless people people haven't been to seattle for a while and there was a homeless guy that came through and he was screaming profanity. So we had to pause um, set. And uh, I was standing next to Zoe Kravitz for this whole time that we were trying to get this guy to leave. And um, he came in between Zoe and I and spit on my open toed shoe, spit right on my foot. And Zoe looks up at me and starts laughing. And the makeup artist that was redoing her makeup was like, thanks for taking one for the team. She really didn't want to be spit on. And I had nothing to say. It was just like, I can't believe that just happened. And I can't believe that someone like Zoe would laugh at me for taking a hawk a Louie on my foot. Here we go. Now, how exactly is that spelled? Well, that's a good story. That's yeah, good that's story. that's the kind of thing. In a way, I have felt because I have met celebrities, uh, numerous ones actually, over the course of my lifetime. There are some who are utterly charming. They're gracious, even if they are using a persona in a public setting. Still, they mind their manners. They can be quite kind. I've met some genuinely kind people. Oh my goodness. They're going back to the 70s where I thought they deserve their fame and fortune. They are really good people. And then there, there's the other kind where it's, they're not friendly, even hostile. In fact, it was a very disappointing read for me. And it wasn't the first time I encountered this kind of uh, narrative. 
from somebody who as a child was in, I want to say it was the Houston airport, but at any rate, they uh, saw Andy Griffith and in the baggage claim section. And they said, oh, Andy, I'm so happy to meet you. You are Andy Griffith, aren't you? His plane had been late. So he looked down at this child under 10 years old and said, because she asked him, uh, are you Andy Griffith? And he says, I was a half hour ago, kid, and just kept walking. And she remembers the feeling of just being shattered by that. I mean, we're talking about Sheriff Andy Taylor, you know, and people, People will relate to the persona of the character, not always realizing that there's a, a real human being behind that character who may not have those traits, but they know how to exhibit them in front of a camera or on stage. Yeah, you know, I've done a lot of research on this topic, especially um, with comedians and stand up, you know, artists and people come up to them and ask them to say something funny or try to have a regular conversation. Most of the time they're open because um, they're really personal people, the comedians, but they aren't always hilarious. You know, <laughs> they have a script that they're going off of. Some people naturally are funny, but then it just depends. You know, it's like, it's like us having a conversation. If someone's having an off day, you might not be like as personable as you typically are. So it's really, it's kind of, um, you know, a, a weird situation where you might come across someone that's really funny on screen, but really not in person um, or someone that plays a really courageous character, but they're really kind of grumpy. I've heard a lot of stories about that. And uh, it's it's funny how when you start getting into this industry, even if it's just a Seattle tight niche industry, you start talking with other people who have been on sets and then names start being thrown out and you start learning a lot more about specific a-listers um and how they react on set and it's it's a little bit concerning because i used to like zoe and you know i didn't even actually really watch kimmy just because of my experience on set um and there have been times on set where you know i had the greatest experience and i watched them on film and it was you know i i learned a lot more about the the person themselves because i i was able to be next to them and they're really nice um but there are those one-off people that you might just be targeting like you might just not want to watch them anymore because of an experience yeah or something that you've read gary and i have have noted that for ourselves when we have heard something pretty negative about a star we just kind of go ooh, and and we don't really want to watch him anymore but who did you find was one of the really nice people that you worked with that you decided to follow a little bit more after after working with them yeah so they're uh actually on Polito. i was in i would call it a dungeon in seattle it was an underground jazz studio that shut down during covid that we rented out another one of those you know um really musty really hot likely over 100 degrees we were wearing full jazz ensembles as backgrounds um and uh keenan lutz from twilight was mm -hmm. there on set and anytime we were out of water and we weren't filming, he would bring around a water pitcher and give people water on set, which was really cool. Um, I was never a fan of Twilight, but after that, I kind of looked him up and see what movies he's going to be in future and 
all of these um, projects that he's been in. And I've kind of set aside a list. I have a mega list of things that I have to catch up on. And a lot of his stuff is on that. Um, and this was just last year that he was here in Seattle filming for Polito. So that was something that was really surprising for me because I just didn't know who he was. And then I was like, oh, it's a Twilight guy. And he's bringing around water for everybody, giving them napkins because we were sweating so much. <laughs> really nice you know that really is nice when people just show their their more uh human side and don't think that they're all that in a bag of chips you know that's that's kind of nice when people are just being people mm -hmm. and, uh, and you 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 know it the thing i think that sometimes celebrities maybe forget is that you know the public is is buying the tickets or or watching them or you know, helping their career along and people do talk. So, you know, especially in this age that we have now of technology, if there isn't a, a video being done, there's certainly some words going out about so-and-so said this or did that. And, you know, you would, you would cross your fingers and hope that it's going to be good. Like, the, like uh, the guy giving out water as opposed to bad where, you know, they just turned and walked away and ignored me. And, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it gets around, it gets around. And I think that that's now an addition to what is happening uh, in the, in the whole industry is that uh, your personal behavior really does make a difference. You know, maybe back in, in the old days of filmmaking, a lot of things got covered up by the studio, covered up by by the uh, publicists. But you can't cover up a lot these days. Too many people have cell phones and they're taking videos. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is on set, again, with the Zoe Kravitz movie, Kimmy, we were kicked off set if they saw our cell phone, period. Like, they were that strict. Um, I saw people try to take photos of her in the middle of doing a scene and they would be kicked off saying they weren't going to get paid. So, you know, it's definitely things that people don't know that backgrounds have to go through um, when you're watching films with A-listers. So it's really, it's really interesting. And it's something that I'm still like developing and learning. And each set is completely new and different um, compared to the director and, and who's producing it. Every film set feels a lot different and so zoe's was one of those one-offs where it was just really strict couldn't have your phone everyone was really mean um she wasn't the nicest person that i've come across and it's really interesting right mm -hmm. well now this is a little opening for me i, I don't want to make this too much of an editorial but what i will say rose is that i have heard of stars who for various reasons or stated reasons do not allow people, perhaps other than the director and co-stars in that echelon, will not allow you to meet their gaze. You're not allowed to look at them. And, oh, would I ever love the opportunity to say, I have breaking news for you. You're not royalty, Hollywood or otherwise. You're another human being just like me. You're going to kick the bucket. I'm going to kick the bucket. And during these mortal days, if you think that people aren't supposed to look you in the eye, I'm not the one with the problem. You are. I mean, wouldn't you want to just tell them off one time? Like, don't you be looking down on me. You're just another human being. So what? You're worth only so much in minerals when you're dead. 
there. So enjoy this while you have it, but don't cop an attitude with me because if you want to see attitude, just tell me I can't look you in your eyes and then I'm going to bore my eyes into your skull. On the other yeah, hand, if people are nice, which most of them are, there I compliment them on their graciousness and I give them every sincere compliment I possibly can because I respect people of high station in life who don't look down on others. It's funny that you mentioned that because I keep going back to Kimmy because it was such an experience, but that was my very first background role. So it was my very first experience. I kind of got a bad taste afterward, but I continue because I was like, there has to be someone that is nice. But um, Zoe, she really didn't make much eye contact. And if you were staring too long, she would just glare back at you. So it wasn't like, you know, I'm going to give you a wave or anything like that. It was just like she kind of gave off those don't look at me or else I'm going to glare at you kind of vibe. And um Keep in mind, Kimmy came out before Batman. She had already filmed Batman that really put her on the A-list category, right? She was kind of, um, you know, living in her father's limelight for a while doing small roles. But now she has this big role, Batman, as Catwoman that recently came out last year. And Kimmy was her first kind of headline movie that was on HBO Max. And uh, I think she gained this big ego after batman came out and it was really weird because all the other backgrounds were saying i don't know why she's so rude and i was like yeah like she allowed me to get spit on you know and um everyone was saying well batman she did batman but it hasn't come out yet so why does she have this big ego so you know it's just weird i think it just depends on kind of like what you were saying earlier she was kind of brought into the industry via her family and i think she already had this built up kind of ego in the industry prior to her becoming an A-lister. Yeah. That's how she got that. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Um, There are better ways to do it. Yeah. You know, and when egos get involved, I am sure that is the number one reason Rose uh, with various sets, either that you have worked on being a director, being an actress with all of that, are you familiar with the kinds of dynamics, and I'm presuming that you are, on sets where you think that didn't have to happen? There's a better way to do this because now you're pretty seasoned. Even at your, at your relatively young age, you're certainly a lot younger than me there. But with your seasoning in these various aspects of pop culture, what is it that goes wrong? And have you ever seen anybody on a bum set where, man, this is a sour dynamic? These are some mean people where somebody, of enough repute was able to come in and settle everybody down, get them to work together and sort of get that, that energy to turn on a dime. So I've had a lot of independent filmmaker experiences where they aren't, you know, paramount that comes in that they're just learning the grounds just like I am. And so a lot of those types of independent filmmakers are really unorganized. And even the director sometimes doesn't know what they want. And so they have either the DP that comes in and kind of gathers everyone's thoughts uh, after hours of people sitting on set, not knowing what to do, um, which is a total waste of time. Or I've seen the production assistant, which the production assistant is supposed to kind of be the know-all person to go to if the director's not available. They should know how everything runs. But the production assistant shouldn't advise you 
on where to sit, how to look, how to act. And I've been on plenty of sets where that was the case. Um, and, you know, through learning all of these things, I've kind of molded my own way of how I direct and run my movie sets because of these negative experiences that I don't want actors to experience. But then again, like on Polito, which I don't know when that comes out, but I hear it's going to be Paramount in theaters. Um, they were so unorganized. We sat in this dungeon for hours before we even did anything. And the director had their eyes blowing out of their head. Like they were running around, not knowing anything, not knowing what they were doing. They actually switched up the scene last minute um, and the production assistant or production assistants were the ones that were kind of helping the actors out and telling us what to do while the director tried to gather their thoughts. So no matter if you have a $0 budget or a million dollar budget, it's, a uh, it's kind of the same. It, it really is in regards to the, the people that run the cameras and, and direct because, um, it doesn't really matter the budget you have, I think. That, that is very interesting that regardless of budget, you have the, the same kind of problem like that. But, uh, the, the organizational part is important. And I think with a creative, that's a separate aspect, um, much like, uh, you know, one person is the, the money man and, and the other person is the creative person. It's hard to be all things. And I guess that's why, you know, it's best to work in a team environment where everybody brings their their talent to the fore and you can work a little bit better as a group than trying to wear every hat yourself. Do, do you try to wear all the hats, Rose, or do you, do you have a number of people that you like to work with? Uh, I try to wear all the hats, to be honest. I'm not going <laughs> to sugarcoat it. Um, I'm really... I'm really a nice person, but I, I just, I think because this is my calling, I am really strict with myself and, um, I have certain standards and I have kind of trust issues. So it's really difficult for me to let loose completely, uh, one responsibility to someone fully. Like, for example, I don't have really much of editing experience at all. Um, but I have edited with the editor, all of my movies. And it's not just my preference it's typically the editor's preference also. Um, but the production assistant, I usually coin myself as that as well, because I don't usually have someone that has that experience or have run a film set before. Um, usually my partner is the person that helps out on set. I have a safety officer for specific films, like a room by the road, cause it's a crime thriller. So we have to have to say, uh, have to have a safety officer, um, for Wish You Well, um, we had a production assistant, but they ended up not doing anything except holding the umbrella because it started raining. <laughs> but um, we, you know, I try to I try to hire people that are going to be trustworthy and show up. But for the woman, I had I went through maybe three or four different production assistants because they either didn't do their job at all or they didn't show up. So I think from just the very first movie I've done, it's just been you know, I'm just going to do all of the things myself and that's okay. Um, you know, I would rather, I'd rather do it my way, um, or, or work with someone independently that has that experience, but it's really hard in Seattle to find somebody that's not going to flake out. 
<laughs> in, in, in the remaining couple of minutes that we have left, is there anything that you are able to tell us about the movies that are coming out uh, with you? You said you mentioned Amazon Prime, but are you under any restrictions about not revealing much, or can you tell us what to expect? Yeah, so Wish You Well is the short. Um, it's a kind of a college nostalgia movie based in Seattle. And I'm doing a first documentary out of Seattle, as far as I know. And it's going to be an uh, unbiased movie about how firearms save lives. Um, we're broadcasting and spotlighting a lot of people who have done good um, with firearms and saved their lives or saved a stranger's life. So that's what um, I'm kind of up to currently. And later production, we're doing another crime thriller, but it's going to be about an hour and a half long. So those oh. are the three productions that I'm in currently for 2023. Well, very good. And hopefully a lot more after that as well. Yes, definitely. <laughs> there, a last thought, Rose. Doing all that you do that you have done, do you recall a moment of self-doubt that you had to conquer in order to move forward in life? I would say just through the learning experience with the woman, there were a lot of things that were unknown to me. I really didn't do any research before I started directing. And I felt kind of put down throughout it because I wasn't getting enough, I felt, recognition as a first-time filmmaker in Seattle. I didn't know if people were going to be interested to watch it. I was really doubting myself and all the work that I put into it, but it ended up blowing up. Um, so, you know, I would just say like, if anyone's interested and you have self-doubt or worries about something, just do it. You know, even if it's just a short for your first film, just go out and do it, write it, get someone to help um, because it might pay off. And I feel like for me, it, it did. You were going to bet on someone, you bet on yourself. Good choice. Thank you. Rose Very excited. Crider. Oh, we're excited for you. And we hope that there will come a time when, as these projects of yours unfold, come back on and tell us how they're going. We wish you great success. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on today. This was awesome. It was our pleasure. Our pleasure. Yes. Rose Kreider. And that website, once again, where people can the go Facebook, visit you. Facebook Rose, is big Rose with Kreider. you. Yeah. Was it? Okay. That's right. great. K-R-E-I-D-E-R. And that's official. Yep, Thank that's you. Official. Thanks again, Rose. Nathan, great job today as always. And join us next Friday. We're going to do this all over again next weekend. Our buddy Jacob, Jacob. Cooper is going to be on Friday. And Susan Harmon, a KKNW host of years gone by, is going yes. to join us for a visit on Saturday. Big birthday celebration there. Susan Harmon, great yep. pal, great uh, friend of the uh, our, ours, our show, and this station itself. We look forward to that. Have yourselves a great weekend, everybody, and a great week ahead.